This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. NATO will increase the number of troops on, quote, high alert from 40,000 to 300,000 to better protect the Baltic states on the alliance's eastern flank. Jens Stoltenberg, NATO Secretary General, pledged that Russia would not be able to capture Tallinn, Estonia's capital, should Moscow invade. The assurances follow warnings last week from Kaya Kallis, Estonia's Prime Minister, that a Russian invasion could see the Baltics, quote, wiped off the map. A Russian missile strike hit a shopping centre with over 1,000 people inside in Kremenchuk, a city in central Ukraine. At least 10 people have been confirmed to have been killed so far. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said that, quote, it is impossible to even imagine the number of victims. The city is also home to Ukraine's biggest oil refinery. America's Supreme Court ruled that a former high school football coach's prayer on the field was constitutionally protected speech in a win for religious expression by government workers. Joseph Kennedy's public school employer in Washington state had sacked him for kneeling on the field in prayer after matches. The three liberal justices dissented, allowing such expression they argued, erodes the separation between church and state. Judges in Louisiana and Utah temporarily blocked enforcement of the state's trigger laws, allowing abortion clinics to continue operating for now. Should the laws go into effect, the district attorney in New Orleans said he would not prosecute women for seeking abortions or doctors for providing them. Both states are among the 13 with trigger laws on the books when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Several people were killed and at least 50 injured when a passenger train derailed in Missouri, according to local officials. Amtrak, an American train operator, said eight cars derailed when the train collided with a lorry. On Sunday, another Amtrak train ploughed into a car in California, killing three people. In the first criminal case to be brought in Switzerland against the Swiss bank, Credit Suisse was found guilty of failing to prevent money laundering by a Bulgarian cocaine trafficking gang. Judges ruled that the bank's deficiencies enabled the gang to deposit millions of euros, despite red flags including assassinations and cash transfers in suitcases. The case is a watershed for Switzerland's loosely regulated banking industry. Sri Lanka's army started handing out fuel tokens in order to ration supplies as the country struggles with a severe shortage amid an economic crisis. There are 9,000 tonnes of diesel and 6,000 tonnes of petrol left in the government's stockpile, but no fresh shipments are expected. Government employees have been told to work from home and many schools have been closed. And fact of the day... 19.1 million, the lower estimate for the number of lives saved by COVID-19 vaccines in the first year of vaccine rollout. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. NATO's summit in the shadow of war. 
Leaders of the Transatlantic Alliance gather in Madrid on Tuesday for a, quote, transformative NATO summit. It will oversee, quote, the biggest overhaul of our collective deterrence and defense since the Cold War, as its Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg puts it. NATO's new, quote, strategic concept will identify Russia as the biggest threat. Leaders will bolster the alliance's forces by hastening to spend 2% of GDP on defense, the NATO minimum target, strengthening its forces on its eastern flank. Some multinational battle groups, notably those in Poland and the Baltic states, will be expanded, pre-positioning equipment and increasing forces at high readiness. They will also have to deal with Turkey's blocking of the accession of Sweden and Finland. As NATO seeks to increase pressure on Russia and support Ukraine and maintain unity, the leaders of Australia, Japan, New Zealand, and South Korea will be on hand to tell them not to forget China. After all, China says its friendship with Russia has, quote, no limits. India's Tax Tussle Ever since India's Goods and Service Tax, GST, which unifies the country's 28 states into a single market, was launched five years ago, the ruling Bharatiya Janata Party has heralded it as an example of, quote, cooperative federalism. That notion will be tested on Tuesday and Wednesday when state finance ministers and the federal finance minister meet as the GST Council. Since implementing GST, the BJP-led federal government has compensated states for giving up their tax powers. That regime expires on Thursday, and those states in precarious fiscal positions are keen on an extension. But that would stretch the federal government's own finances. In states led by opposition parties, the tussle is straining relations with the federal government. At least the council should find concord on the question of whether to raise sales tax on various items. With inflation rising, few ministers will want to irk voters by increasing prices further. Trump truthers want to run America's elections. In Colorado's primary elections on Tuesday, the most interesting Republican race is farther down the ballot than usual. Voters will choose their candidate for Secretary of State, an official who oversees elections in most states, among other administrative duties. One of the hopefuls, Tina Peters, was recently indicted for breaching her county's election system to copy records in an attempt to prove that voting machines were rigged against Donald Trump in 2020. Ms. Peters' candidacy is emblematic of increasing partisanship in the administration of America's elections. At least 23 Republican candidates for Secretary of State in 27 contests this year have questioned the legitimacy of the 2020 presidential election according to States United Action, a watchdog. The House of Representatives Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol has revealed the immense pressure that Mr. Trump exerted on election officials to falsely declare his victory. Were Mr. Trump to run again in 2024 with a friendlier cohort of secretaries of state, he might not have to push so hard. Emmanuel Macron's Elusive Search for a Majority Deputies from the freshly elected French Parliament will take their seats for the start of the new session on Tuesday, just over a week after Emmanuel Macron lost his majority. The French president's centrist alliance, Ensemble, remains the biggest group in the National Assembly. So its candidate for House Speaker, Yael Brown-Pivet, is set to be elected. She will be the first woman to hold the job. 
Mr. Macron has asked Elisabeth Borne, who for now is still the prime minister, to form a new government in early July. He has ruled out working with either Marine Le Pen's hard-right national rally or Jean-Luc Mélenchon's radical left unsubmissive France, the election's big winners, although not with other parties of the left. The prospect of forging a formal coalition now looks unlikely. So Mr. Macron will need to secure ad hoc support for legislation text by text. Given that his alliance is 44 seats short of a majority, even that will be tricky. A wee experiment in the Sahara On the fringes of the Sahara, farmers in Niger scratch out a living growing pearl millet. The local soils are poor, but they cannot afford fertilizer. Now, Agronomy for Sustainable Development, a journal, has described a study on an abundant but unusual alternative. Gardeners have long known that human urine, which contains phosphorus, nitrogen, and potassium, is good for plants but it is rarely used on a commercial scale. In the study, 681 plots were split into two groups. Half of the farmers were asked to collect the urine produced by their households ahead of sowing season and to water their crops with it. The other farms served as a control. To help overcome squeamishness, the researchers rebranded the liquid as Oga, a local Igbo word meaning boss, considered less offensive than the usual name. The results were unequivocal. Fields fertilized with oga enjoyed yields 30% higher than the rest. Urine is now used by more than 1,000 farmers in the region, far higher than the number in the trial, certainly worth spending a penny on. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday. Which American actor formed one half of a double act with a performer whose real name was Arthur Stanley Jefferson. Monday. Who was the first African-American woman elected to the U.S. Senate? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Richard Rogers, who was born on this day in 1902. There isn't anything I wanted to do that I haven't. At the same time, there isn't anything I've ever done that I didn't want to do better. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.